Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the insert funny joke here of the podcast, and I'm joined by the insert funny joke here of the podcast, Tom Woodhead. And finally, the insert funny joke here, but with a negative twist that hopefully produces a chuckle here of the podcast, it's Joe Hill. Joe, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. It's it's nice to be back on, actually. I think it's been a couple of weeks. It was before the international break um, that I was last on this pod. So, yeah, it's it's nice to be back chatting to you again. How was the international break for you? Because you you're pretty much our only international break advocate these days. Yeah, I think I am. I was just... I've been sitting listening to you chaps slag off uh, all the England games and thinking, actually, I, I don't mind them too much. You know, it's no Bielsa football, but... It was. I did actually really enjoy seeing Calvin play. Um, he was playing slightly more advanced. Um, I think because Southgate had. Dis- I, I don't really get this, but Southgate had decided to play Rice and Phillips um, together, and so therefore Phillips was sort of pushing up, and he nearly scored. Actually, he was it for once. He he made it into the box and nearly got on the end of a chance. So that was really exciting. But um, yeah, I I quite enjoyed the break, but it's nice to be back um with some some real premier league football now and tom woodhead how are you doing i'm not too bad i enjoyed your intro further plunging the podcast into the depths of nihilism (laughs) Uh, i can continue and by the end we just sort of say one word and that's it (laughs) death (laughs) yeah the only problem with using this intro up is that we can't really use it again so it means i'm gonna have to think next time well, just use it again, it doesn't matter. Yeah, just the same <laughs> the same intro every week. Some sort of waiting for Godot type performance art before we begin talking about football. Football is why we're here. It is what we are here to talk about. Despite the fact that everything is death, the football still goes on. So this week I was lucky enough to talk to Nico Morales, who's a freelance journalist and a good friend of mine about Manchester City, and this is what he had to say. So Nico, hi, how are you doing? I'm doing great, how about yourself? I am I'm doing very well, yes. It's been a weird season for Manchester City. Obviously they started quite slowly and didn't hit full momentum until around the midpoint of the season. I wondered what you put this down to. I mean I think like everything it's just a confluence of things. There's a there is a motivation in sort of the neoliberal realm of modern media to narrativize something and sometimes that is true. It is it could be more down to one mitigating factor than than anything else, but um, I think it's mainly just, I think you can, as much as I, maybe people are, are looking for me to say or want to say as a supposed or former or concurrent, I don't know what to say anymore, Manchester City supporter, um, that, you know, it's because of the brilliance of one particular person or Pep Guardiola or a group of players. Um, you know, this season is, is really strange as far as, you know, the covid thing and how players have been affected by that how the schedule's been affected by that how the how the players have been affected by that not even just from a health perspective but also just from a mental and physical perspective in terms of just the sheer number of games i mean i don't know about you but it's it's pretty much impossible for me given 
my life has moved in other directions in some sense, but still I find it pretty hard to keep up with just how much football is being played currently and how much football will need to be played in order to, to satiate the, the, uh, the soul crushing contracts that apparently, um, are unbreakable according to Raphael Honigstein. So, um, (laughs) so yeah, I, I think, you know, it's, it's good in that sense. Like there are certainly positives that you can pick out of cities play that differentiate themselves maybe from the underperformance of last year. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a weirdo season. Tactically Pep Guardiola has sort of put city's turnaround down to going back to basics, which I think was a, a quote from him. What do you think that he meant by this and what does it look like in practice? Going back to basics just means a clearer and more concise implementation of the thing that they've always done, which at a very basic level is move the ball and move the ball to move the opposition. You know, City are not necessarily the only team on the planet or even Pep Guardiola is not the only manager on the planet to implement some form of a front five. And, you know, when we start talking about these static concepts, I think people have the tendency to think of them that way as static concepts that you need to establish five frontal players. But that's more of just a proxy for imagining the positioning that is effective in breaking down most teams that play a back four or a back five because it allows for certain spaces, it allows for certain movement. And so I think City have really circulated the ball well. There are a number of players that have come on this season that have allowed them to be successful in the areas that they need to, specifically progressing the ball. Fernandinho is looking a little bit better when he's been used. Rodri has really got into the role and and upped his performance in terms of distribution. John Stones, as everybody knows, has been pretty pretty spectacular and not just in a oh he's gotten better at defending kind of way which I think in some sense he has but he's also just done what he's always done and excelled as a progressive um, central defender and and excelled at progressing the ball in unique situations Um, and then obviously Jao Cancelo we've talked about and everybody's talked about and then you know Ilkay Gundogan and the rest of the uh, the superstars at the front have continued to do their thing so this may be a strange question given the circumstances of Manchester City being far and away ahead of the rest of the pack in the in the league. But what do you think the biggest challenge is going to be for Manchester City for the rest of the season? Mm, I don't know if there's much of a challenge. Maybe I'll eat my words here, but I don't know if there's much of a challenge in the domestic rest of the season. I think they've pretty much got down, that down pat. I think as I was mentioning there and just rifling off the number of players that I've seen excel, I just kind of kept going because I kept remembering how many of them have been so good this season. The only one that I can really pick out as two quote-unquote struggling players, but even they're not really, are Gabriel Jesus and and Bernardo Silva, who Bernardo Silva is only underperforming in, in contrast to maybe what he's done before for the team as a free eight. And Gabriel Jesus is just, he's not come on and as a finisher as much as I would if he as much as I would have imagined a couple of years ago, you know, when he first came into that city team, he wasn't really expected to play a whole lot of minutes. And then Aguero got injured or was out for a period of time and he was finishing like crazy. And he was such a young kid. I think he was 19 at the time. So I think the sky was the limit and the sky still is. He's a very good player, but he, he has some trouble finishing from certain angles and from certain positions. And that's okay for Raheem Sterling (laughs) when he does what he does and he creates what he does, but it's not as okay for a player that, directly plays that position um so those are the really only only the two guys that i see struggling and you know everybody else has done extraordinarily well um so i think domestically that that's kind of really helped them is that pretty much everybody on the team has excelled in some way shape or form um obviously i haven't even mentioned phil foden but i think for the rest of the season the big bug a bear if you will or the biggest thing is just going to be that oh, great variance competition of the Champions League, you know? That City can be as good as they're going to be, but if anything, it's just kind of, if if there's a narrative that you want to pick out or if there's a narrative that you want to find entertaining about this, it's just that Pep Guardiola has won Champions League knockout games that he did not deserve to early on in his career with Barcelona, deserve to, I mean, on the quality of chances, and lost games that he very much did not deserve to on the, on the balance of chances and so on and so forth. So city are either going to break that duct or they're not. And that comes down to individual performances and luck. Do you think that the champions league fixtures will impact their league performance in any way? And I'm not by any means suggesting that they won't win the league. I don't think anyone doubts that, but whether or not there will be a few 
maybe upsets along the way. I suppose for Leeds fans, they want to believe that the fact that City are playing two Champions League fixtures around our fixture is going to impact City and, and maybe give Leeds fans a hope that we could win. Do you think there's anything in that? Yeah, it could do. I mean, depending on how the first leg goes, it's it's obviously will direct City's attention in one way or another, but they're pretty good at rotating and they're pretty good at uh, understanding which players uh, are better in certain situations. That said, I mean, I think Leeds are as formidable oppo- as as formidable an opponent as anybody else in the league, especially for Manchester City and the two styles and how they match up. So you guys should have hope. With all of this in mind, what trophies will be in the cabinet at the Etihad by the end of the season for Manchester City, do you think? Are you asking me to make a prediction? Uh, well, you can you can not make a prediction. I'm happy with people not making predictions, but I'm still <laughs> going to ask you the question. I mean, I'm always hesitant to say that City could win the, the Champions League because they seem to get close and not do it, or you know, the curse of Pep Guardiola, or whatever the case is, or quote-unquote him overthinking it. But they've got a good as good a chance this year as any. I think they're for as much as maybe Thiago hates the uh, hates Ruben Diaz. He's he's not been bad. He hasn't been exposed a lot in terms of his weaknesses. But if there are individual defenders making individual plays, maybe a la Virgil Van Dyke or some some extent of that, I think City have a better chance of not being exposed in the areas that they don't like being exposed, which is on the transition. So I think there's a solid chance that they actually win the thing this year. But that being said. <laughs> anything could happen Chelsea could win it I could see them winning it easily let's talk about the the last game between these two sides what did you make of the last game between Leeds and Manchester City it was so long ago now <laughs> um uh yeah I mean it was quite entertaining I think we've spoken before about how the the styles match up and specifically maybe how Bielsa's man-to-man system is sometimes good and sometimes bad depending on how other teams like to approach it so I think it's always going to be entertaining in that way because the system's uh, catalyze one another and catalyze the um, specific tendencies of either defensive or offensive system. Um, that being said, I think, again, it comes down to maybe what happens in City's first leg and uh, how much attention in the lineup that they divert to the Leeds game in that respect. In terms of um, what we'll see from, from Guardiola this time around, do you think that he will tweak anything for the next game and it does feel to me very much like this is an uh, an entirely different game because the last time we played City at a point where they were struggling a little bit they had the loss to Leicester City around that time as well and they obviously took a little bit of time coming out of the blocks there's also I think you've mentioned already the fact that um, Guardiola has a tendency to overthink things a bit especially when he plays against smart managers and we all know how much affection he has for Marcelo Bielsa do you think there's a chance that he could maybe overthink things again and, and try and do something to to sort of show up Bielsa? Or even, as I think maybe happened the last time around, just, just showing Bielsa maybe a little bit too much deference in terms of his t- tactics? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think I, I he, the, 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 you know, there are many things, there are many ways to say the same thing in the sense that some people could call it, you know, an overestimation. Some people could call it an overthinking. I like to imagine that Guardiola probably thinks of those things as he just wants to see if he can beat Leeds through build-up play because that if his team succeeds in doing that, then they can beat anybody through build-up play. You know, we know how good Leeds are in pressing the final third. We know how active they are in pressing the final third. So if you can beat a team, and, and it's not just like a masculinity thing or let's see if we can do it. It's also just the best way to do it because if Leeds are the, last time I checked, I believe, I don't know if it's still the case, but if Leeds are still by far and away, the team that are pressing the highest, the most, and the most aggressively in the final third, then that means there's a proverbial fuck ton of space in the back half to be exposed. So you always have a give and a take with the tactic, especially with the quality of player that maybe Leeds have to have to be with, <laughs> to put it kindly. So, <laughs> um, you know, those things present themselves as such. And if City are really the champions that they claim to be, then they should be able to do it. So I was looking through a few of Man City's recent games on Transfermarkt um, just to see what sort of formations they've been playing. And there seems to be a fair amount of flexibility in terms of the formations that are, that are being played. Um, I wondered if you had any thoughts on that, if you, if you think there is any formation that you think Guardiola will use against Leeds or whether or not he is just flexible and decides you know, before games how to respond to opponent structure and it will just be a case of him deciding which structure he thinks works best against Leeds. I think as we've seen in, in years past, like 
City are relatively flexible in terms of where the formation is on the pitch. I don't really like speaking about formations because, again, it goes back to that static idea and that static idea of a structure, and it's more entirely contingent on where the opposition is and what they're doing in response to that thing. But I think, again, maybe this game will be exceptionally entertaining because it will just be two teams trying to play around each other in cramped spaces and seeing who's going to be able to expose that line for them. So I think maybe, you know, it, it always oscillates between kind of a four or a three at the back and those players are able to interchange because you guys have, you, we, you, have, you, you have guys like Kyle Walker who are able to um, sort of move across positions. Cancelo can go to either side and do different things. Stones can move in and out. Now with Mendy back, you know, and, and playing it, at least, you know, that offers some flexibility and dynamism as well down the flank. So it's just dependent on how much he's willing to bank that Leeds are going to do something, but also playing City's game in irrespective of what the opposition are going to do, which is often what they have to do anyways. You've talked about Joao Cancelo as, as a player who has been talked about a lot in terms of his ability to invert, his ability to do a lot of creative build-up stuff from, from the middle, despite the fact sort of nominally showing up as a as a fullback could you talk us through that process like why is it that uh, Guardiola uses Cancelo that way and what should we expect to see from him at the weekend I think it was is a clip circulating on Twitter some time ago or maybe maybe something I saw on YouTube and like you know I think Rio Ferdinand or someone on on TalkSport or not TalkSport but one of the British broadcasting channels just straight up asked Guardiola like why why did the fullbacks invert? Like, why are they there? And he was like, well, it was at Bayern. I didn't have Xavi and Iniesta anymore. I didn't have the midfielders that I want doing the things that I wanted. And they weren't as familiar with the fluidity of, like, a fluid system in terms of the buildup. So I wanted an extra person in the midfield to pass to. And structurally, I had to figure out how that was going to come to be. And so he started asking the, you know, the fullbacks in possession in certain situations to come inside. And then I think... That's the cool thing about like maybe looking at tactic, tactics in that way is that, you know, he wanted an extra person in midfield to be able to circulate the ball better because it's not just I want an extra person in midfield. It predicates itself on something. It's I want an extra person in midfield because when the opposition is sitting deep and we need to circulate possession, if we lose possession in that phase of the buildup, we're completely exposed. The defensive line doesn't have any cover and then we're in transition and that can lead to a high quality chance or, you know, a good finish or making something of something. So, you know, putting an extra guy in midfield then went on to, oh, look how good Philip Blom is here. Then went on to, okay, Kimmich, now Del, then Delph, then guys like Cancela. So it's like, you know, you have the traditional fullback who's able to do certain things in wide areas. But then you have these guys like Jacques Celo, you know, uh, Kyle Walker, even uh, Rafael Guerrero in, in other places, Juan Bernat, just just guys that I'm thinking of that have done similar things who, you know, maybe again, to quote Nathan, <laughs> players aren't positions and they can do many, many, many things. Christopher Nkunku as well. And when he played at PSG under Tuchel um, and these guys are creative and you just have to give them the space to do those things. So uh for that to be a relatively new concept, players aren't moving in those ways. Defensive players aren't moving in those ways, so they don't understand where to track, maybe. And there has to be a lot of communication. There has to be a lot of switching, especially in a manned system. You can really pull guys around. Um, so, you know, Zhao starting in the buildup as a right back, then moving inside to receive the ball, then being able to circulate it as competently as any other midfielder, but then being able to receive in, in, in pockets when guys are focused on Bernardo or Kevin or, or Ulke is a, is, a, is a real advantage because I've seen him deliver a ball like anybody else. <laughs> so that's, that's the advantage, I think. Yeah, and Leeds fans will have seen that because we do similar things uh, as well in in both build up but also I guess because of the man marking system we end up with our structure being pulled around a little bit so if you have a a wide forward from the, on the opposition being marked by a, a a fullback you'll often see that fullback being dragged across and just just going with them and, uh, and obviously that allows you to do things in terms of your build up structure to to exploit the opposition as well so uh, I'm sure the the Leeds fans will have an inkling of of what that w- will look like um I was going to ask you about Injury, how you look injury wise at the moment, but I, I had a look and it seems like Nicola Otamendi is the only player who's really out. So it seems as though City are, are pretty good on the old injury front. 
Yeah, I mean, the, again, you know, asking what has gone right for City, and I think we had quite a few guys out at the beginning of the season. Laporte was still kind of struggling with the, his major injury and stuff. And, you know, if they're going to make a push for the Champions League and really seal the title up maybe in the next, as early as possible, um, you know, it's going to come as a result of that. You know, Ben Mendy scored a good goal the other day, and he's barely been fit for his entire City career. So if it's going to happen, it's going to happen now. Would you like to hazard a guess at what the lineup will look like on Saturday? Mm. <laughs> I'm always <laughs> wrong. <laughs> I'm always wrong. Um, you know, yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna go there. <laughs> That's fine. I'm not Nathan. I'm not. I'm not gonna put out six six possible lineups and have them all be wrong. <laughs> Some players will play in defence, some players will play in attack, yeah. And, uh, there'll yeah. be 11 of them. Um, one of the questions I ask all of our guests is, which players on your side need to perform well in order to beat Leeds? Uh, I wondered if you had any um, sort of specific ideas about players who need to perform well to beat Leeds. Definitely Rodri or whoever's playing in the in the midfield pivot because, you know, when the first two years at City, first three years at City probably, the build up and I've seen it a few times this season just because Fernandinho is like ancient at this point <laughs> the build up goes through him or the build up ends through him because he can progress it so well and he receives really well and Guardiola trusts him as a receiver in the, in the midfield because that's such a dangerous position but when players are able to catch him out or when there's not an option or when not enough players come to him which has happened then he can get caught out and, and pressed off the ball and then they're off and so whoever's in that pivot I think Rodri probably will be, if you want me to venture a guess, at some kind of lineup. Um, you know, they really have to be on it because we talked about how good leads are at pressing. And it's not just, you know, we're moving past understanding pressing as like this physical thing, but also setting midfield traps. You know, that's how the the first iterate, the first successful iteration of Manchester City were completely pulled apart by Liverpool it was not just like physical harrying, but baiting certain passes into midfield and then moving after them. And I think leads are capable of doing that from a conceptual standpoint they're not as if you don't mind me saying as good as uh the liverpool of a few years ago but <laughs> they're certainly they're certainly all right yeah i'll take that that's fine i'll accept it as an answer <laughs> what about on the other side of the team sheet like who are the the names that you're interested in uh, watching against city and who, who do you think could perform well against them rafinha fit yeah yeah yeah, him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone says that. So, and then Stuart Dallas. <laughs> oh yeah, no. <laughs> Stuart Dallas has been very good for us. And Bamford has some really good movement across the line. I think so. So I know that you're not going to offer a prediction, and I'm not going to ask for one. But I'll do a score prediction. I won't do a lineup prediction. Okay, well, I don't really ever ask people for score predictions, but um, what I do ask for is how they think the game is going to ebb and flow. So how do you think the, the game will sort of unfold on Saturday? Intensity, first 20 minutes, because City will, City will be trying to figure out just how, how, how they play out. And it'll probably be a, a little... Um, a little, I, I would want to see something, you know, back and forth in the first 15, 20, just leads going after it and seeing how far they can press, you know, uh, City up the field. Because as far as I'm concerned, as last time I checked, they are, are not in any danger of losing their spot in the Premier League. So they're, uh, they're pretty much good to go in terms of what they're playing for. Um, but I think they're just kind of wanting to do justice to their style and improve as, as the club moves forward. So, um, you know, I think it'll probably be intense because both managers want to see things out of their players and use this opportunity as, as, uh, as you know, a, not not a learn, not a training match by any stretch of the imagination. But they know what each team is capable of, and they know that this is the kind of football that they like to play. Both teams can play. Both teams like to play football, and they probably will. So I would imagine first, you know, first fifteen twenty minutes are pretty intense, followed by maybe a goal, and then we go from there. And then, yeah, I, I think it's going to be back and forth until the end. Well, Nico, it's always a pleasure to chat to you. Always a pleasure. What's the best way for people to find the stuff that you're putting out? Uh, I'm recently back on Twitter, begrudgingly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they can follow me at, at Nico underscore O Morales for uh, who knows what. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on today. I'm happy to, happy to do it. Happy to chat. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. 
Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So that was Nick Morales, who is a freelance journalist, and he was talking about Manchester City. And I think I'll kick off with you, Joe Hill. What sort of questions were raised in your mind when you were listening to Nico talk there? I'm sort of clutching at straws with this one because um, I normally I normally try and raise a positive point, um, looking forward to the game and maybe thinking who might play well. And obviously, um, there's it's quite difficult to find a positive when you look at who we're coming up against. Um, but I thought it was interesting that Nico mentioned that the defensive midfielder needs to play well for City. Um, and that just made me think that, OK, if if that happens to be Fernandinho, um, we don't know who it's going to be. But Gundogan and Rodri both played 90 minutes against Dortmund. So if that does happen to be Fernandinho, that possibly um, Robert's, uh, Robert's sort of mobility uh, in that area... He might be able to get the better of Fernandinho, perhaps, given that um, Fernandinho is 35. So I just wondered what you chaps thought about that. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good question. Um, I think there is going to be this this sort of underlying narrative behind the whole City game that they've got these two games on on either side um, of these these two Champions League, League games on either side of the Leeds game, and they're 14 points ahead in the table. Um, so. I suspect the Premier League isn't particularly in the forefront of their mind. Um, so I do think that, that th- these are the sorts of questions we should be asking. Where are those weaknesses that, that City possibly have? Um, it is tricky to find those weaknesses, <laughs> even you know, even if they are playing Fernandinho. He's still a, a, a very good player, obviously, um, even if he is, whatever you said, 35 years old. He's getting on a bit. As a 35-year-old myself, uh, I can testify to uh, the impact that age has on the way that you play football. Um, but yeah, I'll push this one over to you, Tom. What do you make of this? Do you do you think that that's a, a weakness that, that could be exploited by Leeds? I definitely think physically there has to be something there. Um, but the only thing is that whenever I hear people talk about Fernandinho, like City fans, I think they mostly seem to be of the, the opinion that he's still their best defensive midfielder, even at the age that he's at and one of their best players when he does play. So um, this almost seems like a game that's tailor-made for him, to be honest, like to come in and, and run things. It's it's not going to have the um, the same amount of importance as the game against, you know, the return leg against Dortmund will. But um, this is almost the kind of game that, that he plays this season. I think he, he comes in and, and plays really well. And then everyone says, why isn't he playing every week? <laughs> Yeah, and you your question was was sort of tied into all of this stuff, right? With the with the with the obvious caveat that that City will probably be making ch- a lot of changes for these for this game, given the the Champions League scheduling. Um, so, what's your general take on that? Do you think that there will be a, a big disruption? I had a little look into it, and I found some recent press comments from Guardiola where he was essentially defending his stance that he's going to be making a lot of changes um, in it. I don't think he was talking specifically about the Leeds game, but it was recent comments and he was talking about the fact that they have a lot of games and they have a lot of Champions League commitments in midweek. So he will, it was almost like he was preempting the kind of, you know, he's not taking the league seriously kinds of comments that he, he you know, might get from certain quarters um, if he does play a, a slightly weaker team than normal. So um, I would think that he will make a fair few changes. But then when I actually looked at the lineup that he played in the, uh, against Dortmund in the first leg, they, uh, you know, the, the, Raheem Sterling didn't play at all. Uh, Aguero stayed on the bench. Uh, Laporte didn't play. Ferran Torres didn't play. Fernandinho didn't play, which we've already discussed. And then you've got other slightly more middling, I'd say, players like Ake and uh, um, Mendy to come in. So it's not like it's not like we'll be facing a team of kids either way. We're you know whatever happens, we're going to be facing a team of 
top Premier League professionals. It's not just going to be a team of kids. So it is, as Joe's was, a little bit clutching at straws. But you do have to find some kind of positives when you're doing a podcast about a game like this. And that's about as close as I can get to it, I think. I also did kind of wonder whether um, Man City have been playing a sort of false nine, haven't they, recently? And that... Although that may well not happen because I could quite, I could see Aguero starting this game or possibly Jesus, but if they do end up playing a false nine, I wonder if that um, how that impacts us because I can't really think of many occasions when we've played against a, uh, a team that's you know had a striker like that under Bielsa. Apart from I guess the last time we played City, when did they play Mares there? I think they either played Mares or Sterling in that position. And... I think it was Sterling actually. Yeah. Right. Well, well, lots of questions to get into there. Um, I guess my sort of gut question here is, is is about the way that Guardiola is often criticised for overthinking things, particularly in uh, Champions League football. But I do think that, you know, he's the sort of person who, given that he uh, has a, a huge affection for Pep Guardiola, will, I so- sometimes feel as though he sort of gets influenced by these games and sort of wants to impress smart managers. Um, I think I maybe mentioned this in in the questions to Nico, and um, I wonder whether or not we think that we'll see something. It, it felt like in the last game to me that that City came out, they got the goal, and then they sort of got dragged into playing this transitional game. I've just written the the column for the YEP, um, and I was talking about how that that was sort of the the, the game as it unfolded. It sort of City went ahead, the game became really transitional. Leeds got back into it, and then City decided to try and just maintain possession again um hold on to the ball and then Leeds sort of looked a little bit less dangerous so I guess my 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 question was sort of can can we somehow bait Guardiola into playing that more transitional game which will suit us more uh or is it simply going to be the case that you know City are just going to workman like their way through this and just prevent us from getting the ball at all and we'll be unable to transition from our own half at all so um that that was my kind of question so um (laughs) <laughs> let's 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 try and find some sort of meaning from those from those few questions. Let, let's start with mine. How do we feel about the, the the game in the broader sense? Given that I think it's very easy to just be like, well, Man City are clearly the best team in in the Premier League. They're probably probably the best team in the world at the moment, give or take a few. Um, this is just sort of a game that you have to get through, and that's that. How do you balance that off with the fact that obviously, as fans, you want to see a result and you want to believe that that a result is possible? And you know, there always is a, a possible result. You know, football football is a very variance heavy sport, so you know a bit of luck and you can you can get a result so um how are we feeling about the game in that in that light joe just thinking about it now i'm not sure that man city will want to get dragged into um a sort of basketball game as everyone likes to call it um it's going to be quite interesting because speaking of the rotation thing i think the players that are going to be playing on tuesday uh, on wednesday in the in the next dortmund game um are going to be a lot more careful um, let's say De Bruyne or Gundogan, um, who who normally play um, Diaz, maybe Cancelo. Um, I think they'll be looking to just take it easy, have a nice, careful game, and just not get injured, basically, because they all want to play in the Champions League. And like we sort of touched on with Nico, um, the Premier League is nearly as good as one for Man City. I think they just need a few more wins. Um, but then the players who are coming in um, are going to be looking to impress and to try and get a start against Dortmund. So Jesus and Aguero, for example, Sterling, who didn't even play at all against Dortmund in the first game, they're going to be really up for it. So it's going to be a really interesting game in that sense. And I feel like maybe there's maybe City's defense is going to be slightly weaker if they if they rotate a lot and play. Um, Nathan Arke, for example, who's barely played any football this season, um, whereas the rotation for City up front to play Aguero and Sterling, I know Aguero's been injured for a while, but um, I just feel that they're so good um, that the fact that Aguero's been out for so long just doesn't make any difference because he's just an incredible centre-forward. I thought it was interesting the thing you were saying about the uh, you know Guardiola overthinking the big games, and I do agree that he does that, and he definitely does try and impress certain managers as well but I just wonder if paradoxically the idea that he's going to probably make a load of changes will guard against that to an extent because I think it's usually a way of him trying to um, sort of cleverly muster his best resources uh, to an extent I think the one that I always remember was one 
Uh, I can't remember who it was against, but it was when he was at Bayern and he played a sort of a, a back three, but like a man-marking back three against the front three uh, of the opposition. And it was just absolutely disastrous. Uh, <laughs> um, and and, and so that, that's sort of the gold standard for weird um, Guardiola uh, big game decisions for me. But I don't think he, he would be tempted to try something so wacky in a game where he's making so many changes anyway. Uh, it's probably more likely that he'll just rely on Man City being very good, I think. Yeah, and I also kind of feel as though there's there's not the same pressure on the Premier League game against Leeds as there is against Dortmund. I mean, Dortmund have been pretty historically poor this season. Um, they've been they've been losing and drawing to teams that you just wouldn't expect them to lose and draw against. I mean, teams like Armenia Bielefeld. I mean, most people probably haven't even heard of Armenia Bielefeld. Um, so I. I I think it's an interesting one because I think you know in some senses you you could argue that the the Leeds fixture is is going to be a sterner test than than the Dortmund one. I know that Dortmund sort of took them quite uh, a long way in the in the first fixture and uh, were were unlucky to go in I guess with with the loss but um I do think that City have easily got enough firepower to beat both Leeds and Dortmund, no problem, which I think maybe maybe um, puts an edge on it. And I think when it comes down to it, then the issue then is pressure. And I think the, the pressure is in that Dortmund game rather than the than, than the Leeds game. I could see them losing against Dortmund far, far um, more readily than I can see them losing against Leeds. Now, you know, Dortmund have nominally got better players but than Leeds, but I think a lot of that will come down to the pressure side of things as well. Um, let's talk a little bit about structure because I've just finished writing the Yorkshire Evening Post column and it was I just had a look through some of City's recent games and they they're very very structurally flexible which I think as I said in the in the the, the column is because despite the fact that Guardiola and Bielsa both play sort of positional play in possession of the ball so using team structure to to manipulate space to get an edge over their opponents the the difference between them is that off the ball out of possession we obviously play in a man marking system and they don't they play in a zonally oriented marking system and the difference between those two systems is that when you're in a man marking system you basically want to get your players as close to the opposition players as possible so that when you lose the ball you can get your man marking structure sorted out as as easily as possible whereas obviously Manchester City don't do that for them it's it's zonally marking and with a high press so if they turn over the ball their immediate thing thought is how do we press this ball to stop them from being able to manipulate the the space in behind our our center backs basically um but obviously that the fact that Leeds play man marking is really helpful for us as we're previewing games because we generally know what formations opposition teams are playing um and so we can just sort of react to that whereas with City they've played pretty much a different formation give or take in every game they play now partly that's because I think people use the formation out uh, you know in different possessional uh, structures to, to to work out what's um what did in, in different games to work out what City are playing and if, if City are dominating a game and they're always in their possession structure then the formation will <laughs> reflect that um, whereas if they're, I guess if they're in a bit more of an open game and they and they are defending a bit more, then you'll you'll see that um, re- reflected in the possession structure as well. This is all a very long way of me saying I haven't got a clue what structure City are going to play. And I pushed Nico on this, and he said, you know, I just don't really think about f- football in terms of the structure. Um, and I can see why, you know, if you're watching a lot of Manchester City, that would be the case. Um, but the long and short of it is, what do you guys think? That City will play. Do you think they'll just sort of play their their sort of standard four one four one or four four three three or whatever you call it um, with with one of those defensive players sitting in the midfield, two three eights ahead of them, and then their front three? Or do we think that we'll see something different? I think against Leicester, perhaps they played a double pivot, which is what they played against us at first in that in that game at the beginning of the season. Uh, but the long and short of it is, I don't have a clue, so I'll push it over to you guys. So Tom Woodhead, do you have any clue or any sort of gut feeling on what sort of structure? City will play so that we can kind of work out what what corresponding structure will play. I would guess it would be a sort of four three three ish sort of formation. Um, I obviously I can't be much surer than that for all the reasons that you've just gone into. And what I thought was quite interesting was that Nico was um, he sounded quite dismissive and snottish about the uh, about the man marking system 
um, against a team like this. Uh, I I personally think that this is a game where the man marking system is relatively neutral in its impact on the game. Like it's not one of the games where the man marking system really gets shown up and uh, will be a huge weakness for us. But equally, I don't think it's one where it gives us a huge advantage. I, I think it's relatively neutral on the sort of pH scale. So, um, because because I think if a team is being really flexible and moving players around a lot, I think the man marking system, if you play it well, it can really really help because it's just way less complicated in that in that sense. But obviously, your players need to be one hundred percent switched on. So I think I think you you gain a little bit and you lose a little bit with a man marking system against a team like Man City. Whereas, as I said, I think there are teams where it's a clear advantage or a clear disadvantage. I don't think this is either really. That's really interesting, actually, because. I think a lot of people are expecting us to just get turned over by City, but that didn't happen in the last game, with the caveat that City were obviously... I mean, that game put them eighth in the table when they when they finished. I know they were they had a game in hand for a very long time, but they didn't get to the top of the table until Jan- late January, it was sort of full three months later. They were also all over us for the first 20 minutes of that game. They could have <laughs> yeah. scored three or four goals. Yeah, but I think, you know, the games where we have struggled have been against the teams that you just don't think of as being very tactically astute, right? Where, where they're... Where they're approaches you know vibes get the ball forward and inshallah that kind of approach in we've seen with with teams like i mean it's it's true of spurs that's pretty much their approach it was it was true of lampard's chelsea for sure uh it's definitely true of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's manchester united those are the teams that that we've really struggled against i think really and 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 it's embarrassing right because you talk about how these managers aren't particularly great and how we have a great tactical mind in marcelo bielsa and yet the thing that really sort of deconstructs our our system is just players given the freedom to just be like run quickly and see what you can do see what you can create it's because it's a it's an obvious bait and switch isn't it if you if you just line up and when you get the ball you sort of go back to your flat back four and 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 then maybe work from there then all it does is encourage us to push all our players way up on their back four and then you can just lump it over the top so just in a really simple in a really simple way i think i mean everyone knows that that's that they're the teams that do well against us and and as i said like with city i think it's it's very different if our players really stay on it i think we can cause real problems with that man marking system because they won't have the passing lanes they won't have the space to to do the things that they like to do so i think just as much i think no one really plays that way against man city as well so that could possibly help us in that most teams even the teams that normally try and play um, pressing football and 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 possession football, they will sort of uh, they'll retreat into their shells a little bit against Man City, and I don't think we will do that. Well, you're definitely giving hope to Joe Hill here, so I'll I'll go across. <laughs> He's definitely got. I can see it in his eyes. He is expecting us to win now. <laughs> yeah. You should get me to do the team talk before the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Joe, what, have you got any thoughts on the structure? Then would you would you have have anything to add, or are you happy to go with the sort of four three three? Yeah, I think I think I'll agree that that City will probably play some kind of a 4-3-3 obviously there's lots of movement around there but um I agree with what Tom said earlier in that I think Aguero will probably start um I think he's he's only got a few more games in him really before he leaves this season you know there's only what eight Premier League games or so left um and a few Champions League ones and he didn't get any minutes in the Champions League in midweek so I think Aguero will probably start and then that sort of leads me to believe it'll be a 4-3-3 but um I am I am filled with a bit more hope now um and <laughs> I do think that the I do agree that the man marking system can benefit us in certain areas um when you talk about Cancelo or Walker doing that inverted fullback thing for example um I think whoever's whoever's man marking them which will probably be Rafinha or Costa um you know can really do a job on them and just and and track them i know that walker is very very fast indeed um so we're going to need a, another fast player if if walker's playing but um yeah i can see that being a benefit to to leads in certain situations well it's interesting that you've mentioned the winger situation because obviously jack harrison is out for this game um and so you've suggested that Helder Costa is just going to be the the straight up replacement for him um i guess people will may argue that in the last fixture, we brought on Jan Paveda and he caused Benjamin Mendy quite a, a few problems in, in that first fixture. Um, obviously, Paveda has been out with ankle ligament issues, which I suppose will, will limit whether or not he is available. I don't know. He has been back, but whether or not you would you would bring him on for this kind of game is pretty unlikely, but we, we may see him later on in the game. So, Tom Woodhead, are you happy to, to just accept that Costa is probably going to be the replacement? 
I think it's probably the most likely, but as I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Paveda come on, um, as you say. And, and I think it's also quite likely that Mendy does start, so that might be a battle that we do see again at some point in the game. But I think Costa can also, you know, he can do good things up against Mendy as well if it is Mendy that's playing. And I think um, it would be the safer option uh, to start Costa and then possibly bring Paveda on later on. I think the, the, the thing that that does mean is that it probably means Rafinha will move to the left wing, which is... Not ideal in many ways, I think, but it's probably it's probably more ideal than playing Costa on the left, I think, which never seems to go very well. No, I agree with all of that. And then the other thing that you mentioned, Joe, was uh, the fact that both Walker and Joao Cancelo can invert. Um, it's seemed to me more recently that Cancelo is now that player who who cuts inside and helps out in the build up and uh, I, again, I've I've touched on this in the Yorkshire Evening Post column um, this week, but. The, 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 that inversion of the fullback is, it's again, it's, it's it's all thinking about structure and space and how you can get an extra body in the middle for build up and and you take them out of the back line. So essentially, in, you're playing you're playing four defensive players in def, in defensive transition. You're trying to get your back line sorted, but in build up, you're you're saying we don't need four defensive players. Let's move one of them into the middle, and we can, you know, it gives us a bit more flexibility, gives us better spacing to to do build up play. Uh, and that's the general thinking about it. And um, yeah, Cancelo has been has been really good this season, insofar as you know he you can get him into those situations where he's he, he's obviously not as good as as Kevin De Bruyne at those balls in, but he's he's not bad at those balls in, and he just gets himself into dangerous positions. Um, and we've we talked about how that you know he he will be dragging around our man marking system whilst whilst it is probably better to have a man marking system to be able to deal with that sort of structural change. Um, it, it's, it, it still is a structural change and we'll see, you know, you don't want to see one of your wide players, um, I'm guessing Helder Costa in this, in this um, situation, being constantly having to worry about where he is and being out of position from where he would usually be. So if you do turn the ball over, he is, I guess, nominally out of position from where you would want him to be. So um, yeah, <clears throat> Tom, I'll get to you on this because Joe's already touched on the inverting win, uh, inverting fullback thing. But what what do you make of that? Are you is that something that I mean we've seen it happen at Leeds. Stuart Dallas does it enough. We've seen Dallas come inside and help in the build up, and um, you know Bielsa and Bielsa and Guardiola are cut from the same cloth. So I don't think it's anything that's going to necessarily stand out to Leeds fans as being something that's that's really unique I think the unique thing that they have is that they have a player like Cancelo who is so good at it um so what's your thoughts on on the inverted fullback thing I mean it's probably dull to keep coming back to the man marking system in reference to this but it almost seems like a a scheme that's designed to exploit zonal marking like there doesn't seem quite as much point to it against a man marking system the whole idea is that the space in that area that is is unoccupied and it it allows a player to because because it's a player coming from a different zone of the pitch it's it it, it essentially generates an extra player in that area that would you know that no one's marking it because the opposition is playing zonal marking so when you've got someone just constantly following that player all the time it would make more sense to me to just pass to the player who's already in the middle of the pitch rather than um, moving people about in the same way. Um, I know that's a very basic way of looking at it, but I think a lot of the advantage of doing it in the first place is moot when you're facing a marking system. Yeah, and I think this is a really good point and and, uh, something I wish I'd touched on in my Yorkshire Evening Post column, but I didn't, so (laughs) they should employ you instead of me. (laughs) Please, that'd be a terrible idea. (laughs) I don't think so. But let's talk about the the wider structure then. Um, Assuming that City play with a front three, as we think they will... um, the question is like how do you, how do you structure the back four? Do, you, do we think Joe Hill that it'll be the same as as last time out? So, well, I guess we played a, a back three last time out, but that that same sort of mix of players who, um, when when we did segue into it into something closer to a back four in possession, um, so Ailing, Urente, Cooper, and then Alioski, you ha- you think that's going to be the way that it goes? Yeah, I do think that's going to be the way that it goes. Um, I think Strauk is unlucky. Um, to be out the team he was last time and um I think it will probably be the same um one thing that is going to be quite interesting that I was thinking about this morning um is if City do play with no number nine effectively um if Jesus or Aguero don't play and they sort of do this false nine thing um to see what the back uh our back four structure looks like because that could mean that uh one of the centre-backs gets dragged really high up the pitch um and we're only 
effectively left with one centre-back um, who would be the libero. Um, and you've mentioned that um, you've mentioned that a few times on the pod, so I'm sure people are familiar with that idea. But um, yeah, I just thought that would be really interesting because we against two strikers, we obviously play three centre-backs. Against one striker, we play two. So if there's no striker, does that mean that there's only effectively one main centre-back and the other's just roaming, following his man? Yeah, that's a, an interesting question, and I suspect the way that around that they'll do it is have Yorente on the on the man because he does like to step forward. If that that is if they 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 do play at that sort of false false nine uh, that we've talked about, um, I I'm interested to, I think to see how how we deal with the fact that City have wide forwards who like to get central. Um, I think we're very vulnerable on the right to a player like Sterling hitting the wing with pace but then cutting back onto his foot and and looking to curl the ball in the top corner. I think Ailing has been shown up to be a little bit weak in that respect. I think Urente is definitely a right-sided dominant defender. I think when you cut back onto the left, his left, he can be a little bit weaker on there. So that that would be maybe something that I'd be a little bit worried about. Um and then it, I, I, that's assuming that someone like Sterling is playing. But, you know, Phil Foden is playing. He is just as able to do those sorts of things, cause those sorts of problems. And we know what Mares is like on, you know, he sort of made that a way of life when he was, when he was playing at Leicester, that sort of inverted cut inside and, and, and causing problems there. So I think maybe in rather than the, the striker being the thing that worries me, it's, it's that, like you said, dragging the center back out. With the with the with the forward, even if you have a false nine, and then at- attempting to plunder that space that's left behind by by getting your quick, um, skillful players in into that those spaces. I mean, that was exactly how City scored their first goal against us, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Tom Woodhead, have you got anything that you wanted to add to the to the defense? I mean, I guess the the, the big worry that a lot of people have will be Alioski, um, but it doesn't seem like we really have much of an option to to do anything about that I kind of keep waking up in the middle of the night and, and just <laughs> just thinking could we play Strauch at left back <laughs> like, <laughs> is that an option like he did play there a few times for the under 23s he's got a decent passing range he's a better defender than Alioski I mean I know I know there are so many reasons why it's a bad idea but this kind of shows the point we've sort of got to with Alioski now that um uh, it is incredibly worrying, but we just have to hope that he has one of his good games because he does have, he's not had any many good games recently, but he can. When he plays at his absolute best, I think he is capable of uh, of being a really good left back for us. Um, but I mean, he just doesn't do it anywhere near enough. So we have to hope that he has one of his good games, I think, because I don't think we're likely to see any personnel change there. Yeah, we don't really have any option of like dropping Dallas because of the central midfield situation, I guess. But um, in terms of the central midfield, if they play with two three eights, do you then expect Calvin Phillips and Dallas to be the sort of double-ish pivot in that sense? Uh, it's not really a pivot because they're not really doing the build-up as a double. Um, but... Uh, maybe they maybe they are that's maybe a bit unfair but um they'll certainly be on those two free eights and then as you've said joe the roberts on on the um dm which we haven't really talked about yet but let's talk about those we're just happy with calvin phillips and 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 stuart dallas on presumably you know who could it be it could be phil Foden. it could be um gundawan could be uh, de bruyne it could be bernardo silva um they've got plenty of options in there um that just seems to me to be the natural the, the natural uh, approach and I, I suppose those two will be playing more as two sixes than two eights um so uh i don't think there's i don't think anyone's got any problems with with that sort of has anyone got anything to add on that the only other option that i thought about which i don't think will happen um is that click comes in and dallas moves to left back um just to bring that up as a possibility but um i'm not sure that that will happen yeah click still looking pretty jaded um when he's when he's played recently um and i you know i, I don't necessarily have a problem with 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 playing click but i think we just looked so much more solid with with dallas playing that more zonal uh, zonal position than than we have with anyone else really so and i just prefer click as being the more advanced of the two aims mm. really i also think despite what you say that I think he's performed a fairly important role in the games that he has come on recently, Click. I think he's a good sub to bring on when we're ahead in the last like 20 minutes of a game because he presses well and he uses the ball fairly intelligently. So 
I think if we're already ahead, he's a really good sub to to come on in place of Roberts or or even Rodrigo if Rodrigo's come on earlier in the game. Yeah, and I think that would be the only way that we would see Click being used. I could see him like like there's an outside possibility he could be used from the start, but I don't see that happening. I I only see him being not replacing Dallas, but whoever's in that other eight eight spot. I think um, in terms of Roberts, as as Joe mentioned, this could be a, a good game for him. Do you do you agree about that, Tom? Yeah, I mean, I think. We've we've always we've said recently that we think Roberts has been playing well, and uh, I don't see anything in particular about this game that means that he wouldn't be able to play well again. I think it's interesting the the point that, that Joe makes that that he is a sort of very he is a player who can transition the ball quite nicely. He's a good ball carrier. He he's he's quite sharp in in that transitional phase. I think particularly when he's got the ball at his feet, um, and it would be nice to see him sort of being able to run up players like we saw it last week when he caused all those problems for Sam Baldock and um, it'd be nice to see him doing the same with with Gundogan um, and not Gundogan sorry Fernandinho um, so I, I I think that he, he could be maybe a, a bit of a bright spark for us in in that midfield um, hopefully cause some some problems against either Rodri uh, or, or Fernandinho I'm of the opinion that Rodri is better than Fernandinho now, uh, I think. But uh, either way, I think he could cause cause those two problems. And I expect to see quite a, a bit of tactical fouling of him um, if we get into those transition phases. But for me, again, it's going to be a, one of those games where it just all depends on how well we protect the ball. Um, and, you know, I've just not seen really any improvement in those in these sorts of games where it's it's vital that we keep the ball in the middle third to get into the final third. We just seem to lose, lose the ball, turn it over quite a lot in those scenarios. So I think a lot of it will come down to, to that. We did do it quite well against City last time, obviously. And in fact, Rodrigo was, was brought in um, and did quite well in those situations. But, you know, the game was so open. Those are the sorts of games that Rodrigo really looks quite good in. So I guess there's a, the possibility that we could bring in Rodrigo um, if if the game does open out and he could maybe cause some problems, um, has anyone got any thoughts on on the possibility of bringing him in? Um, it's, it, uh, this isn't about Rodrigo, but I think one of the it, it's quite tenuous. But one of the benefits I think of playing Rafinha on the left as opposed to the right is I think he's less likely to drop deep and do something mad when he doesn't necessarily need to, um, which he did quite a few times against Sheffield United. I think he does that less playing on the left, which can it can kind of stultify our play a little bit. It can make us a bit more staid, but equally, I think it does possibly mean that we're a bit more solid defensively when we play like that. Well, not defensively, but we're less likely to lose the ball in silly areas just just outside the box. So, you know, again, not, not, it's not exactly the most uh, ringing endorsement for playing him on the left, but it is something. Let's talk then about who needs to play well for Leeds. Um, then I, we could talk about who, who we're worried about on the Manchester City side, but I think we've pretty much covered that. It's most of the players that they have. Um, but in terms of who we think needs to p- play particularly well, who have you got, Joe? I guess it's more the the individuals that I don't want to see making mistakes, um, such as Alioski, who we've mentioned Um I just want to see him have a game where he doesn't actively contribute to our downfall. Um, and I, I also think um, I'll be looking for Urente to play well. Um, as you mentioned on the last review, I think it was, um, his his ability to play through balls is um, is quite good, quite good and he, he can make those line-breaking passes. Um, and I think if he's going to bring Roberts into the game, or if anyone's going to bring Roberts into the game, then it's probably going to be him playing one of those passes. Um, and maybe between him and Calvin Phillips, um, with Calvin doing a lot of rotating around the back line, um, they can sort of look to beat the press that way. Um, and the other player that I wanted to add was Bamford, um, because obviously if we can't beat the press, we're going to be looking to play some long balls over the top. Um, and we're going to be looking for Bamford to hold the ball up and bring other players into the game. Um, and obviously Bamford came off early in the last game, um, so Bielsa wasn't wasn't seeing exactly what he wanted from Bamford. So, yeah, I think that I think I'll be looking for Bamford if if we can't break the press, which presumably um, we're going to struggle with, um, for Bamford to be on it with his hold up play. Tom Woodhead, would you add anyone to that list? Yeah, I think Roberts, uh, we were talking about that. And uh, especially with Rafinha on the left, I think there's a bit more onus on Roberts to provide some spark. And um, in general, uh, if if this is going to be a proverbial basketball game, then he's he's the player you want breaking with it and running with it um, along with Rafinha. So I'd add him. And Ailing for similar reasons to Alioski, albeit coming from a, 
higher baseline. Um, I think those fullback positions are always really important against any team that presses high. Um, and how do you think the game is going to unfold, Tom? I think it'll probably be quite similar to the last game in that they'll really come out as early doors and we'll have to probably weather some kind of storm. And if we do weather that storm, then we'll eventually get a chance. And um, if we can take those chances, um, obviously all while still trying to play our own game, we're not going to be sitting back. And that's partly why the storm will be so fierce uh, right near the beginning of the game, because we won't be we won't be just sitting back and trying to be solid. But um, if we can limit those chances and uh, and take our own when they come, because I think we will get at least one or two chances in the game, uh, then you know we've got a chance. Yeah, I completely agree with Tom. I think City seemed to score so many early goals. They, especially in that season when they they got a hundred points, um, it just seemed like every game they would just score in the first ten fifteen minutes, and that would just settle them into a, a rhythm. Um, so I think if we can keep it nil nil for twenty minutes or so, then um, we might start to see a few chances coming. Um, or you never know. Um, we could get we could get a penalty or something in the first ten minutes, but. Um, yeah, I think if City score in the first 15, 20 minutes, then it's going to be a really long day. But um, if we can hold on for a bit or nick one somehow, then um, maybe we have a chance of getting a draw or, you know, maybe maybe more if I'm feeling ultra positive, but I'll stick with a, a draw at, at best. <laughs> well, with that level of positivity, we uh, arrive at the end of another All-Star song we podcast episode um we'll be back at some point this weekend with a review episode of that manchester city game which i think is the lunchtime kickoff isn't it on on saturday so twelve thirty, i think um but until then i guess all there is for me to do is to say thank you to tom see you later and thank you joe cheers and we'll see you at the weekend Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market